The following program may contain content not suitable for all audiences. Welcome to Metagamers Anonymous, a program dedicated to tabletop role-playing games and mostly related material in a presentation of Prismatic Tsunami. My name is Eric. I'm Rich. I'm Joe. And I'm Nira. That's right. We have the quiet girl in the corner back. Yay. How you Yay. doing? Yay. Hi. So good to see you on the airwaves. Yeah, totally. It's a really, really cool place to meet. Um, yeah, she uh, decided to take the day off just to spend it with us. Yeah, that's it. That's what I did. She I'm, was like, I'm sure. um, I don't want to work today because there's a podcast today and I really fucking want to be there. Oh, yeah. That's definitely what happened. That's what happened. Completely. I know you love your work so much. I just, goodness, I love it. It just, it fills my heart with all kinds of, you know. Hatred and rage. <laughs> I was going to say cholesterol. Wonder, wonder, wonderful emotions, guys. Just wonderful emotions. <laughs> Her heart was filled with blood. <laughs> uh, episode number 254 today, The Role of Heroes. Um, we're going to talk a little about... Um, Heroes, PC heroes, NPC mentors, and vice versa. And uh, kind of, uh, you know, just explore a couple of concepts I wanted to talk about a little bit. I've been I've been taking a management class, so, you know, it's <laughs> shit's on my mind. But every time I come across something in, like, school, gaming, or life that feels like it could have potential, but nobody usually talks about that thing, I don't stop and think, I wonder if that's because it's a dumb thing to talk about. Instead, I go ahead and talk about the thing. And, but uh, you know. isn't there a point where pretty much everything can apply to role play gaming? Because role play gaming can apply to pretty much everything. It's a life thing, yeah. Yeah. You know, there was this. Uh, I remember because my uh, my my undergrad degree was in psychology. I remember a study I came across once had nothing to do with whatever I was working on at the time, but it was fascinating. They talked about this mirror neuron phenomenon, mirror neural phenomenon, where when you imagined an experience that you could contextualize, that the central nervous system, the, the, the activity in the central nervous system actually mirrored experiencing the activity, particularly something if you knew. Um, and they started this little bit with dreams because your because your brain will be active, you know, when you're dreaming. But there are parts of your brain, parts of your you know nervous system that will light up for certain things. But of course, when you're dreaming. Everything's shut off below the neck. You know, there's like, if, if, unless you're one of those weirdos. <laughs> if you are one of those people who, you know, smack your partner in your sleep, then maybe you have a problem with this particular off switch, but, or, or walk around, obviously, or in my case, drive, then you may not understand really <laughs> what I'm talking about. But there is a, a definite uh, fascination, I think, with the idea that because your brain knows the activity and can't tell the difference at some level between you creating a memory of it and you experiencing a memory of it, that its, it's activity mirrors it. And this is, I don't know why, but fascinating to me as a role player. The idea that there's all these things that I could do in character that I would never do in real life. And that somehow my body is experiencing them the same way that my mind is. Eh? Yeah. Huh. Weird? Yeah, because I can't parkour over a short wall. No. But um, I can't parkour over a flat surface. The distinction I think you now, can. You should try. I think the distinction is in whether or not you can not, not just imagine it as a thing that happens, but imagine actually doing it. You know, and that's tough when you're like, say, as athletic as a chair, like I am. You don't really feel like you're 
you you have much to go on. I mean, I'm not I'm not really sure what it would feel like to parkour over my sofa, much less you know. Well, I guess maybe when my barbarian does did it, I I was visualizing a little bit off of feelings I had when I was younger, skinnier, and able to tumble over things. Is that what you kept wiggling your butt? I'm just curious. <laughs> I do that for you, sir. Yeah, it's an online game, so just so you know how much how much he has to go through to make you know. That's why he got the second camera. That would explain it. <laughs> Richard's butt cam. That's the name of the episode. Now, that's why Richard's I pay for cam. the zoom it's so not, I can have as many cams not, as I want. Oh, I thought it was the zoom lens. <laughs> I want to see if you guys have like a different perspective on some of this than I do. Um, we were gaming. This last weekend, we had like a boss fight. At the end of the, the we were I was running the Sunless Citadel. I was running just just for a group uh, a group oh, of yeah. us on Tuesday. Speaking night. of my barbarian, yeah, and it was a. I mean, we we had gotten to the point where it, it, I guess I I feel like I should I shouldn't have to apologize for this at any level because, frankly, we're my expectations may be a little different than a lot of game masters and D and D groups, but you guys fucking murder hoboed your way right through this dungeon. I mean. I didn't want to let my rage it, it, stop. It was only, there was only like two people who could talk to the characters. So it's like, well, I guess we're going to list. They're not telling us what's this, what they're saying. So we're just going to go along with whatever they tell us to do. The language barrier. Yeah. I, that's right. a thing. Oh, Does yeah. not everybody speak goblin? So did you guys finish the Sun Citadel? Yeah. 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 Did Meepo make it? Oh, no. no. no, Meepo, <laughs> no. He never makes it. Meepo was murder hoboed when they met him. Yeah, we fucking murdered him. Uh, no, no, I guess you didn't. No, we actually didn't. He yeah. got away. He, 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 he ran. ran away. He escaped. Okay. Yeah. He's so in the woods. Technically, he did survive. Fuck nice. Think about it. Say, I've seen different. multiple times. He usually dies to the, uh, the fountain that says, like, ignite or flame or something. And then I've had so many players blow that up, just murdering Meepo right there. Wow, I've never seen that happen. That is I've intense. seen it at least twice. <laughs> mm. Were any of the same people involved in both? No, these? that's the crazy part. Except you. Well, yeah, but I had one time a group mm. threw a torch in there, and another guy threw a firebolt into it just to see what happens. Nice, nice, nice. Poor Meepo. Yeah, poor Meepo. He never. He's iconic. Then I had one time that the uh, well, I'm blanking on the name of the dragon, Calcrix. Yeah, so I got. I had Calcrix kill him one time. That was in a oh. game I was a player in. He was tasty. Yeah. Gosh, that everything. They killed everything. Yeah. They stopped to fight everything. Yeah. You know, the only thing they, they didn't want my kill rage to run out. Were some of the <laughs> so we can talk about that. Were some of the kobolds and some of the goblin commoners. <laughs> Cuz remember there's non-combatant style yeah. commoners in in these, you know, There's that one room that has like a whole community of them yeah. that try to run yeah. away. Yeah. Uh, wait, can I continue my rage by just trouncing through commoners? Technically, as long as you're attacking every round, yes, you can. Uh, I'll remember that next time. So, <laughs> we get to the end of the previous session, and they had wandered into the edge of the big grove in a section of the lower level. Anybody who's run the game knows what I'm talking about or played the game knows what I'm talking about. If you haven't, um, I'll, I, the specifics are really that important. Uh, suffice it to say that when you get in there, you have like, oh, first wave of enemies, which is like some goblins that are in that room. A second wave of enemies, which is like some, you know, tree things that come up and attack you. lights, I think. Yeah. They were quick to take out. And um, when you get to the kind of like the end of that, if you have a party who is who has forward momentum, 
as part of their design practice, then what happens is they move deeper and deeper into the cavern with every round of combat. Because, you know, it isn't just enough to go to the enemy, it's enough to bash right past whatever's going on and make sure you get deeper into the cavern and see what else there is to fight. So then we, here's one of those things that has to do with the whole um, uh, fog of war slash visibility thing. The What do they call it? The, the light thing, dynamic lighting, I think, or whatever, in um, Roll20, which is what we're using. And I'm sure that uh, the other tabletops do similar things. The map is laid out in such a way that when a character stops on a square, it's D&D, mind you, so it's all squares, character stops on a square, the light from their token or the vision, the visibility from the token, depending on where they're at, it extends to show them everything that the character can personally see at that point, right? We know how this works. Right. Yeah. There are some walls from like some ruined underground building or something that were in this room where the grove is. And most of the bad guy, the druid's retinue that they fight at the end, was behind those walls. But it just so happened that at the end of the session, I'm not going to say the end of the battle because we technically didn't have one. The uh, after they dealt with the last of the twig blights, it, initiative rolls around, and I realize that because Richard's character can see about half of a token of one guy in there, yeah, that he may decide to take action. So I keep the initiative rolling. He now, was only fifty-five feet away, and I can move that far in a single round if I've rested one round between the last time I did that action. Right, it's a damn cat. People. It's a tabaxi. It's a, yeah, thing. Yeah. Uh, so what what happens is and I had to keep my rage up. I go ahead and I keep the keep the combat rounds rolling just to kind of ask people, okay, you know, nearest character, what are you doing? You know, are you doing anything related? Are you doing anything combat related at this point, or anything that's going to take any time? You know, give me an idea of what exactly you're doing right now. Yeah, move to the next person, move to the next person. Everybody can see what's happening, of course. I get to Richard. So fade to like, black, fade <laughs> to black, <laughs> cliffhanger. He's like, see that guy over there. <laughs> We did the cliffhanger. And we had to stop because nice. we were running really late. So, uh, and then it was two weeks till the next session, ironically. So two weeks later, we start with the session with... Uh, a tabaxi sure, flying halfway across the giant cavern. Let me make sure as we start the session, I had to make sure I had all the initiatives still, you know, I had all that stuff logged and all that stuff set up. And I got a chance to adjust the enemies at this point and take out the ones that were dead in the, from the initiative and all that stuff and just jump right into it. And there was never... There was never a, a pause in the action. You know? I had two pause. Yeah. The worst that would happen, or the, the most that would happen was every round when Richard's character tried to kill somebody, he would demand that they take him to their leader or something. Just say, I need to talk to the I need to talk to the guy in charge. Whap, I'm not wasting a round. We're combating. I'm enraging here. So you know. made a lot of splinters out of trees. Uh, you know, which is also kind of that that thing. It's like you know, how do you think raging a battle rage is typically a reasonable enough thing to make you know to to be like doing diplomatic overtures? I play at that a point? cat person. Where does reason fall in? Well, I just you know the whole you know I need to talk to the you, you have cats. Where does reason come in? See, I do not. Climb. You're lucky I didn't just knock his glasses off the shelf. He thinks he's asking for the leader, but really he's just running through going, Druid! Whack! <laughs> wasn't, I wasn't a druid. I'm dead now, so I can't tell you that. Um, That's true. The first person I attacked wasn't the druid. Somebody made a very convincing role, and I'm the only person that acted on it. That's the weird part. I started attacking everybody but the people she said not to attack. So, yeah. So, he jumps way out ahead of everybody, right? Yeah. And the um, nearest character kind of gets to the edge of the wall where they, she can see everybody in. 
And she realizes this is a guy in charge and that we could potentially win something by talking, by negotiating something, because you also were looking for people and you knew you, you knew or suspected that the people that were with him were the people you were looking for. Yeah. You know, so let's at least at least banter, at least find out what's, you know, if there's anything to gain here. And of course, you know, as as written up in the adventure module, you know, Belak has his his information that he's yeah. willing to share or whatever. And, you know, the, I mean, he also has his position. He's the one thing he's not going to share is, you know, what he considers his. And uh, she gets up there and I'm like, OK, so battle's going on around you. But you just arrived on the screen scene. Excuse me. You're trying to get somebody's <laughs> screen literally on my screen. Uh, some somebody's trying to you're trying to get somebody's attention. Roll persuasion, natural twenty. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> this is Nira, so she knew two things. One, that this was a highly unlikely out, outcome that nobody had predicted. Yeah. And two, that she had just wasted her only good roll for the entire night. Right. Yeah. Well, it's not just that I wasted the roll; it's that I wasted it because I knew the fact that no one was going to listen to what I said. Because the people she needed to listen wasn't the bad guys. It was us. I listened. I'm the barbarian. You listened and attacked. I attacked not the people she had to negotiate with. I was attacking the trees. Well, you attacked the thing that attacked you after I said it. So, I mean. Yes. It kind of feels fair. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, at that point, I was no longer attacking things until I felt I needed to attack the druid because he was being unreasonable. And that's fair. I think in the moment that actually works. Except it again requires an awful lot of ra- rationalizing for somebody trying to keep their rage intact. And I, I'm still I'm still sitting here imagining the incredible Hulk beating himself in the face to make sure he doesn't lose his rage as he moves forward. You know, you just don't think of him as rational. I'm also the same person that rolled against the corpse of the druid after I killed it. So, see, I've also had an issue with the rage system in D and D. You're in the middle of a fight, and oh, I had to run around. I'm in the middle of my rage. I'm screaming, but they moved five feet too far, so suddenly there goes my rage. I'm still the whole round running to hit this guy. It seems like that should keep your rage going. And uh, again, I this is an, inter- an interesting, um, an interesting mechanic. the 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 rage ends in D and D. If you're if you're the rage ends if on any given round you do not successfully attack an opponent. Or you do not take damage. Right. Those are the conditions, right? So that means that the only alternative you have, if you're not going to Throwing get to the opponent dagger. in time, or yeah, if you're not going to be able to do something to successfully uh, you know, attack that opponent in that one round period, before basically your momentum runs out, you know, to carry you forward, is hurt yourself. Right. And yeah, it's not the direction most players go in their head because rage is a mechanic, mm-hmm. not a I'm in the mind space of this person. So is, so is my health pool. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's fair. That's fair. But it's also accurate. And, you know, barbarians have more hit points than everybody else on average. One of the reasons for that being that taking damage is, is an integral part of their, you know, their, their, their structure. I, I find it interesting. I, I don't know. I don't know that I've ever had anybody do it, you know, like I said. But I also know that the, I, I believe, excuse me, I mean, I've read articles that talk about the fact that the barbarian is like the most culturally insensitive construct of a class in D&D because it's an amalgam of so many different things that are inaccurate um, portrayals of yeah. real world that. cultures that, you know, and, and, and especially with like the totem things, the, the animal stuff, things like that, how it, it's completely disrespectful to, you know, uh, some of the source material that it comes from. I don't, I don't know enough about it, but I've read articles about it that I thought were interesting. But the concept I always um, heralded back to 
the berserkers of um, like uh, the old uh, old uh, Celtic warriors, right? Right, right. And the legend of them was that they had a battle. They had a battle rage. They had a, a kind of a blood fever that when it when they got into a fight, it kind of took over. They kind of they tended to foam at the mouth. They kind of mouth. They kind of lost possession of their faculties. They lost sense their their sense of and and could be known if they got too close to attack friend as much as foe because they weren't necessarily in complete control of themselves or completely aware of what was happening around them. It's just like they're taken by the frenzy of it. The the bestial romanticization of that is kind of interesting in literature. There's some of that in our like Arthurian literature that I've read things like that. That, that were appropriate to the time. The D and D berserker uh, uh, barbarians we see nowadays isn't like that. You know, right. you know, you as a player have a good deal more control over that character's mechanical aptitude, and the reason for that is because building a element into the character's basic fundamental functional abilities that invariably causes as much pain as it does triumph. Right, is counterintuitive to fun. Is counterintuitive to making a character useful. You know, you don't want the character to be, presumably you don't want the character to be, because I've, I've had players who enjoyed this part about Barbarians in previous editions. Um, you don't want the character to be somebody who, when they run into battle, everybody else, get the fuck away. Right. You know, don't, don't go near that guy. You know, so that you're as much of a detriment to your party as you are, you know. But it, yeah, again, when I've seen that in the past, it was just used as a question. It's, it's a matter of role-playing, right? And part of your tactic <laughs> in this situation is to stay the hell away from that person until and, they're done with what they're doing. And some of those people like attacking other party members already to begin with. So that's a whole other topic. So it, it makes me wonder, you know, but but that's that's just a side yeah, and there wasn't any, anything really that, that prompted that line of thought and what, you know, Richard was doing the other night or anything. Just more of a kind of like cross-examination of the construct of the, the character and how it works and how they fit inside that. You know, that, that, that is such a cool power. Yeah. It's such right. an important one for the character, too. And in my mind, I had a goal. It's just I was also raging and had to keep fighting. Yeah. And I could not stop myself I don't know, I've thought about it. Like, I, I fully understand, like, if you're doing something that gets you out of combat, that it, even if it's something like stopping to take a drink of a health potion, you're, you lose your rage because you're no longer actively. But I feel like dashing should keep it up because you're still running forward trying to get oh, to. You are pumping the drink. Yeah, you're still pumping the. So I just feel like dash should also be something that keeps rage going oh yeah like the anime thing where you're doing the attack yell for three rounds right and there's a wah to go three feet right yeah i wonder if um i mean mechanically i could see adding an option that uh uses a bonus action or something as part of a a round in which all you do is move to maintain your rage right if you wanted to mechanically satisfy some sort of balancing factor I don't. I don't think of it as one, and, it's, and that's. I mean, kind of a continuation of some of the shit I said last week. <laughs> Rage is a limited utility, right? You know, yeah. The reason that matters is because you can't get to the end of it and then just decide to start it again, right? Well, that's not entirely true, is it? You just can do it however many times per day, right? That'd be right. A right. Long rest. That's the only limit in fifth edition D anD. d Again, in previous editions, which I'm in my brain, I may be going all the way back to first edition at this point. But in previous editions, had a cooldown period, right? Exactly. Yeah. You know, once you did it, you couldn't re-engage it for a while. Once you came out of it, it's like you you were shaken up. You know, you were you were wasted a little and bit. And I do like I think it's the Berserker path that has the frenzied rage, mm-hmm. where that is like if you choose to go into a full frenzy, you can do more attacks per round. But afterwards, you're going to have a level of exhaustion. Right. 
Yeah, does um, is it Gabe's character that has that? One of his characters that has the frenzied thing? No. I've seen it in play. It, I don't think anyone... He may have the frenzied rage. But he doesn't but know he how never, to, He doesn't know, he doesn't know how to use it. it. He doesn't... He's still learning. <laughs> and exhaustion. Freaking sucks. Yeah, it does. Yes. That is a harsh mechanic in 5th Ed. But it's a harsh mechanic in real life. Yeah. Alicia's Tomb of Annihilation game. I'm playing a barbarian right now that has frenzy and kind of not paying attention. I, I did two frenzy rages, and when you hit the second level of exhaustion, it was bad because it takes two days for it to go away. <sighs> wow. You, you lose one level of exhaustion on every long rest. But in deference to um, what I was talking about echoing last week's sentiment is the idea that as an ablative, that's not the right word, but as a, as a power that you can only use a certain number of times, you know, it, it, it's like, um, well, as long as I'm only going to get into two battles today, I should go ahead and use my power that makes me a barbarian. You know, not just makes me a killer, a killer combatant, because I still got the ability to swing my axe, whether or not I'm raging, but makes me actually good at fighting. I mean, it is my power, whereas other people get these other things, right? Or makes me good at tanking because it gives me some sort of damage resistance. And now that I'm level three, it gives me a lot of damage resistance. Yeah. Which is the big bonus. The D, the DR is the big advantage to it. I'm a tiger with a bear totem. <laughs> wow. Makes sense. So, I I find it interesting, but I don't know. But anyway, yeah, the, the final combat thing was the thing I was trying to figure out. If I, I, sh- I know, I believe, that if we'd been playing without a map in front of us like that, where somebody could see part of a token and immediately recognize that there was something there because the player could see it on the screen, literally that in a situation where we do a theater of the mind right then, there would have been a pause. Because I would have asked you if there was anything I could see, and you probably wouldn't have even thought about me being able to see in there. Right, right. I mean, I might have looked at it and tried to determine, but then again, I might have wanted to give you the opportunity to take a breath, although you were looking to expend, extend your rage. Which because is it was my last rage of exactly the day. Exactly the opposite, you know, and I didn't necessarily want to take that from you. We had talked about that already. I knew that the boss fight was coming up and I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to take that away from you. So heading into it meant that there wasn't going to be time for negotiation, despite the natural 20s coming out of Nero's corner, that there wasn't going to be an opportunity to um, do anything but fight. Although, to be fair, I did not attack the first time I said, take me to your leader when I went down the hole and the gardeners attacked me without even talking to me. So they were skeletons. skeletons. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying they didn't talk to me. It's not my fault. They didn't have tongues. If you're going to have a welcoming committee, they should be welcoming. That's what I'm saying. I think that's how you get a killer barbarian tiger person running through your thing, killing everybody because you are rude when you come in. Hospitality matters. And anyway, we did we did wrap up the adventure. It was it was yeah. fine. I think I'm going to go ahead and roll into Forge of Fury. Yeah, Forge of Fury is a good one next. So just so we can kind of keep playing with those those uh, characters. I haven't played it because you guys hit third level. Hit third level. Yeah, you know, I'm going to so, miss um, Vanessa's character. <laughs> I'd have to double check, but I'm pretty sure there's an AL module, which is just a like a one session-ish length game that links the two. Oh, oh, really? I'll, I'll try to find it for you. I'd be interested in that since we literally just finished. If yeah, you give me something. That'd be kind of cool. I'll look it up. It's I think it's available online from the AL from it's just something somebody wrote. Tomb of uh, Guild. Yeah, but it's like when they released it when the Tomb of not Tomb of Yawning Portal was the current book. Cool. So yeah, we're gonna we're gonna kind of continue with it and see how things go. It's 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 I, I I don't know if it's a great group, but it's a, a fun group of characters. You know, they got a lot of cool um, abilities, and propensities, and some differences that make them interesting. We get some interesting role play out of it. I'm glad you do because it's a very dungeony 
dungeon my, my best friend's a hobgoblin sorcerer and i don't appreciate magic but he's a sorcerer that waves around a battle axe so he's kind of cool <laughs> yeah Good even, Sir Dwarf. Might I join you? Aye, lass. There'll always be a place at our table for such lovely company. Wake up, half fight. Huh? Who? Whatever it is, I didn't do it. <laughs> you have my gratitude, my lords. And ye have our attention. <sighs> Particularly if there's gold involved. There may be at that, and much more. Buy me an ale, and I'll spin you a tale. Barkeep! So, I want to talk about heroes a little bit. And I realize it's kind of a loaded term because we can we can make it, we can use a general sense and make an assumption that you know um, our PCs are heroes of their story or what have you, or or our heroes in this situation if their if their role in the story is built to be heroic or if the players make it a heroic role, you know. But I find that the the construct for D D characters for for uh, because we've been talking about D D and fantasy is where this shines the easiest i think in a lot of ways because the structure of the game is so oriented towards it a lot of times when i run games in other genres the characters are far from heroic not always but it's often a survival situation or it's you know they they have a mission or they have um, a personal goal you know like a salvage ship or you know depending on what you're doing commoners thrown into extraordinary situations instead of heroes adventuring right. across yeah, the right. land or an escort it's a really quest fun bl- being those kind of people yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> not the escort and, quest and there's no there's no reason you can't do those kinds of people in D&D you know that's that's not the the case either it's just that the kind of the general assumption of a, a fantasy you know heroic fantasy game <laughs> is heroic fantasy uh, characters. So I, I feel like um, I feel like it's the easiest place to talk about. One of the things I find interesting about the general assumptions about her- about heroic characters, I realize I just used that term again, is that the there the is kind of not, not the lone warrior kind of sense necessarily, but that within their element they stand alone. And this is particularly true in a class based game where there's so many niches that can be filled. And people work very hard typically to create characters that are uniquely suited to some part of that group's expansive sort of skill set. So, you know, you don't usually have three wizards hanging out in the party. And if by some weird chance you did, those players would typically make sure that those three wizards were nothing the fuck alike. Typically. That always happened. But there's a, an interesting sort of um, kind of, I think, sense of you know, personal glory and, you know, the fame and fortune of it, the, the, the accolades, the recognition that, that goes with the idea of, you know, I am a hero. But I think there's a lot of lost opportunities there. And in some games, I like to introduce, particularly at lower levels, of course, but it can be just as, as uh, interesting, if not more so, in a lot of cases at higher levels, introduce characters who are more experienced NPCs who are willing to take people under the wing or teach them something or create rapport and relationships where they automatically gravitate towards that kind of relationship. And sometimes I think that, I mean, it, it gives you an opportunity to enrich the world so much. And I, I don't know if you guys have seen much of this in your games. One of the examples that immediately comes to mind, it was from War of the Burning Sky, where uh, Will's character kind of connected with that that lieutenant general or whatever he was who um, had, uh, they, they actually started, he, the guy had a fascination with war games. He used them to kind of like, like miniature war gaming 
to kind of use that to kind of plan some of his battle strategies for the bigger campaign that was ahead of them. And so he kind of drew uh, Will's character into those games with him as a worthy opponent, as somebody that could give, you know, his own tactical kind of, you know, angle on things. And it became, obviously, that becomes a mini game if you want it to, you know, the game inside the game thing. Let's say you're playing Warhammer in D&D. Right, but that wasn't the point, you know, and we didn't typically handle it like that. In the cases where it mattered, we made it, we dropped it down to a couple of die rolls, you know, and role-played out details that were interesting about it. But the neat thing about it was it created a framework in which those two characters, that NPC and that PC, built a relationship that mattered over the course of the campaign. And Will would often end up, his character would often end up referring back to that gentleman as a source of uh, wisdom, as a source of insight, you know, as just a sounding board, you know, because because you got your fellow player characters, but most of the time they got their own shit going on of some sort. And I would love to see more of that. I think it's I think it's a, a truly fascinating opportunity. Now, not everybody's up for it. I I really pull a lot of the inspiration for that idea from earlier editions, like first edition specifically had rules <laughs> because Gary was like this. Had rules about training to gain levels. Originally, I, I believe this was intended to be an actual rule to game, but a lot of the stuff that back that was treated as optional kind of stuff. So most people didn't ever bother with it. But the idea was the, the, that if you wanted to level in first edition, you had to train to achieve that. You couldn't just automatically, you know, it wasn't you got to a certain experience point value and, you know, there was a magical ding and suddenly you were there. It was very much you have to find somebody who is capable of teaching you the things that you haven't yet learned, of helping you improve your skills. And a lot of times these trainers required payment. Sometimes they required a boon or a quest of some sort. You know, it was intended to be an opportunity to expand on the adventure. But that meant that mentor-type roles were actually pretty common, you know, especially at lower levels where you had to find somebody higher level than you to work with in order to gain another level. In fact, you had to find right. somebody who was higher level typically, I think, of the level that you were trying to get to. Oh, yeah, yeah, I you remember know, that. Kind of a, a master of the craft or whatever. And so that really changed things a lot. I think, um, I mean, it's not that, like it's necessary, but I think a lot gets lost in our more video gamey kind of mentality of, of modern gaming. Where ding, flash of light, that's right. enough, right? We better save the prog- that level for the progress we bar boss so we can just use it as a free heal. Right. <laughs> um, and I was trying to think, have you got, can you guys think of any examples of that with PCs and PCs you've seen in games? Um, in? I was just thinking, I know something that I shy away from doing just because I know I'm not good at it when I'm DMing is I try to shy away from having that here out like npc hero first off i always forget that they're even there when i'm running the game and i just don't like i I almost feel like it's me trying to put myself into the game like no i'm I'm here running it for everyone else i wouldn't do it with somebody that's adventuring with them Mm. and maybe that's one of the sanctions there and you gotta remember i I run a lot of campaigns where adventuring quote-unquote isn't the point yeah because the few times that i've had even like they they needed a guide to get somewhere half time i forget that i'm I'm the guide because I'm the DM. I'm not a player character right, right. now. Well, but story-wise, you remind me of, uh, you know, Hercules had his mentor, the, the his mentor, the centaur, uh, uh, Karen, who gave him the weapons, taught him the, the ways to be a hero. And so you go back into that, and I'm like, I get that. It's an interesting concept. You're right. And it's not somebody who goes adventuring. He, he did not go adventuring with Hercules. Hercules came back to him to learn. I have uh, I have honed my skills. I have practiced my craft. I need more instruction. 
how do I use this? And that's, I mean, that's very journeyman, journeyman type. You know, it's, it's very much like real life in a lot of ways when it comes to skill sets. Right. Not usually combat, but even then, like when you go into military training, there are levels of training that you undergo for various functions that you might take in, in a military setting. Same sort of deal. You know, you don't get out of boot camp and become a Green Beret. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? No matter what you tell your friends back home. Right. There's a lot, I think, examples of it in literature, but the, I think one of the best ways is because you can run kind of the NPC with the party who is a resource. And I have occasionally done that, but like you, I tend to avoid it. Yeah. Not because of any confusion on my part, usually, I think, but because I don't want to create the sense to the rest of the party that I'm a resource they can fall back on so that everybody can throw their hands in the air and wait for the DM to tell them what to do. Yeah. I've also had a few times where, like, my NPC is talking to another one of my NPCs, and it's like, well, now I'm just here talking to myself, and everyone's just watching. Nearly ran a game recently with the pirates. Yep. With the, the and and there was this kind of sense that everybody there had their own experiences and skills and background that they had their own story to tell. They really did. And that was one of the things I really enjoyed about that campaign. It also made it so that the way I engaged as a player character with a lot of those people was very particular. I I selected, I mean, as, as carefree as my character seemed, I selected my relationships accordingly. I wanted to make sure that I built certain levels of rapport with different NPCs. Yeah. When in my mind, I not only knew which ones my character got along with, but if I had to find one of the other PCs on the boat, I knew which NPCs to go look for that would know because they were friends with them more than others because, because we all, all have personalities. Yeah. Well, I mean, with the ship, I had to build a ship that could run. So I'd have enough NPCs. Right. That it wasn't like the player characters show up and suddenly fill the missing crew slots that were necessary to run you the ship. You could so have phoned to, it in. I had to have like a didn't. bunch of NPCs, <laughs> and I made a bunch of NPCs, and I had a list, and they had personalities, and I kind of gave them stories. And then as it went along, there were NPCs that people didn't really want to engage with. There was one that no one engaged with even once. Wilson. <laughs> Yeah, I had a dude who's so big and so dumb, nobody engaged with him ever. I had one that per- people rarely engaged with, which was the one that I freaking introduced the whole group. It was your yeah. your Yeah, yeah. Friend. Well, I always thought of him as a friend, but we never had a lot of interactions. But he always was the one my character would consider himself closest to on the ship. Um, and everyone seemed to really gravitate towards the captain. <laughs> uh, because the cool captain could character. kill us all. And and the and to the first mate and a little bit of uh, of course the true wow. river who I didn't even like out of all of them that I thought was going to be the most hated character. <laughs> You're like I'm going to write it this throwaway the character. Most character. It was in fact <laughs> well, I was so like, I don't us. really care about They're this awesome. character. In fact, I'm going to make this character a bad guy in the future. <laughs> Yeah, well, I was going to say, wasn't, wasn't like River's first uh, so originally, uh, River plan. was going to be, was going to betray you guys. Originally, <sighs> River was going to betray you guys to the big bad guy. And I... And then she fell in love with Eileen. And just kind of, things just rolled the way that it did. And I'm just like, whoever. well, I don't know how to play this because they're... I, how can I have them... True River be the bad guy when they have a romance with one of the players. That wouldn't stop me, by the way. It wouldn't. I came up with a <laughs> no, reason why it would. It would still work. But 
I think it could have been a whole lot better, personally. Uh, didn't want to I don't do think Harry has ever had experience of having a romance with a bad guy. No. On the Monday game. <laughs> Such a bad guy. What? What? <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, you, you lost her now. The the dude that I released that you didn't want released, and then oh, you yeah, slept yeah, with yeah, him. Yeah, 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 that guy. <laughs> Uh, yeah. oh, that guy. <laughs> that was like so, so many. That was like so thirty uh, sessions ago. Though. Right? She slept with so many people since like, then. <laughs> I just <laughs> one. We didn't te- technically. We didn't know that was him. I'm just doing air quotes for those. We didn't know that was him. It looked like someone else. So right. therefore, you look different. Yeah, but it it's it's one of Eric's campaigns. So if you sleep person. with someone, they are going to betray the party. Only if you're Jonica or Jason. Oh, or Nira. Say that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, that would have betrayed the party before she ever slept with him. Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes it better. He was already a demon. I don't know what more he was. And, and you wonder why I play celibate characters. Yeah, and miss out on all the fun. I don't understand it. Jonica does as much as she can. First time she gets an opportunity to jump in bed with the bad guy. It's, you know, it, like, let's make sure I torment my character for the rest of his fucking days. Here we go. You know. There's, But there is a difference between tormenting your character and tormenting yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't, I'm not so sure there is in your mom's case. <laughs> I'm just saying. I, I've done the tormenting but, yourself, and it's not good. <laughs> I would be the one to have the character go crazy and go, okay, well, I love you, and a piece of your heart will be with me always, as I stab them in the heart and take that piece out to carry with me always. Yeah. I think a really good example of, like, um, a, a, a hero mentor type thing would be Delft. Silver Delft, maybe. Delft, I in guess. Guys but game. he was our he was your commander, boss. You know, he was a yeah, but that was still the, he was still being a mentor. But he wasn't a mentor in terms of like making you a better fighter or a better doctor. He was a he was a mentor as in being the guy you went to to be better at your job. Yeah, you know, and that's which that, was an important part of that campaign. Yeah, very much so. You know, it wasn't the heart of it in the end. It was extrapolated. From is that. it is an important part of that game? Um, it was a yeah. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I doubt we're getting back to it. Sadly, I know. Not to bring the room down or anything. Joe's like, whatever the fuck. I'm good. I'll get to it in the actual play in five years. Well, as before, I will, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) It stops at the same place the War of the Banging Sky did. It's like a character that you played for like so long. I've played this character for so long, for so many years. And I know him so much and I miss him. And it's such a weird thing to miss someone. That doesn't actually exist. <laughs> Alrighty, Miss Zed, my level twenty power is going to be freaking amaze balls. So I think this is a, just kind of to explore the construct a little bit. Then, in that game, sure, did your character have in their backstory any kind of mentor? Yes, relationship. Yes, okay. you know, do you know who it was? I yeah, I mean, they didn't ever show up in the story, but yeah, okay, mine did. Yeah, yours did too, right? Not just the patron, you know, because your character had like a a master or something before that, right? Oh, yeah, I think he died. Right. Uh, But, and I'm going to repeat your phrasing, you you think he died. But uh, there's also... It doesn't mean he can't come back. (laughs) Now I'm really upset if we don't continue this. Come on! (laughs) 
Uh, what about the opposite? How many uh, uh, did some of, some of those characters had mentor like relationships with NPCs? They did. No, that's <laughs> one of them. No, you weren't. I didn't know if you could handle it anyway. Maybe maybe I should have gotten you a lab assistant. I don't know. Your wife would have <laughs> kept him in the web <laughs> <laughs> to keep him safe. That's um, that's your boss. <laughs> your boss would have kept him in the web. Your no, wife, your wife was your boss. No, my sister. No. No, she was not my boss. It was a really complicated yeah. game, Joe. <laughs> we had a whole Days of Our Lives thing going on here. <laughs> I'm just saying that your boss is your wife's no. sister, and I'm like, oh, you're in Alabama? No, no, no. Hey, some of our listeners in Alabama, you fuck. <laughs> not anymore, <laughs> sorry. Oh, you know not some of the cool. best engineers in the country come out of Alabama. Yeah. And hopefully they play oh. D&D. Um, or I guess Some today, day. hopefully they don't. Or they might be listening was, and be insulted. There was a character whom my character, there was actually two that my character really looked up to, though. But they weren't exactly mentors, but they still looked up to them. Two NPCs? Yeah. Who's that? The king. Okay. Yeah. Number one, the king. The original one. The, yeah, the OG king. Fuck off the other the, one. The one we killed. <laughs> eat that one out the way. We didn't kill him. Eat the brick. <laughs> eat the brick. Okay, maybe not eat. eat. That's just that's just Alec projecting. It's not Nera. <laughs> um, but that was a that was a PC, so that changes things. Yes. Yeah. Um and there was another character we ran across. I don't think Eric really expected it, but there was a character we ran across that he was like a Frankenstein kind of character. Mm-hmm. And um just because I was, my character was a doctor and they, they, he was like this great doctor who accomplished great things. So of course mine would be like, oh my gosh, you're amazing. I've read some of your work. And that and, explains and all we, the zombies in your basement. And then when we, when we got to, we got to, <sighs> where else do you keep them? We got to help him at one point and then I, I realized who he was and we met him again later and right. I was like, oh my gosh, I get to work with you. This is so exciting, but we never really had that kind of relationship. I kind of went, yo, if you ever need me for anything or if you want to come, we are going to always come back, <laughs> see us. I'll help you. <laughs> I, I think it's worth noting that the kind of relationships that we're alluding to inevitably create greater engagement with the setting. So uh, for a game master or a player, these kinds of relationships are powerful tools for creating um, another another angle on the game setting, the game world, another tie-in to events. You know, the, the, the NPCs you're talking about were part of the moving story. Yeah. You know, so as you build these relationships with them, their position in the story matters. You know, uh, what if Von Recklinghausen, the guy you're talking about, turns out to be a bad guy later? You know, it affects... I already knew that was probably going to be a fact. It affects... Uh, <laughs> what if? Look at it. You know. What if he was a bad guy? What mm, if? What mm. if? Huh, yeah. Indeed. Yeah, mm. what about his son might be a bad guy, too? Hmm. He, he might, had great rapport as well. Hmm. He might not be the bad guy. There's always doppelgangers. Well, you see, he had a son. He's not such he a bad guy. He was Frankenstein's monster-type character. Man, he was so great. We loved him, but... <laughs> well, I love... Me. Andre. I was the only one. <laughs> Everyone else is like, why are you hanging out with him? I'd be like, he's uh, cool. <laughs> you're the only one that can really piece him together. Ooh. You guys are so mean. All the puns. Yeah, I, I know. I'm just trying to keep you in stitches. Oh, I'm hurting. Are you done? Is I'm, he ever no. done? <laughs> I'm trying to think of like any other games that we really did that with, but 
I mean, not a now, lot. Who was in the wall game? I am so horrible with names here. You had that goddess character who took you under her wing when we were over there. <laughs> I wouldn't say that under her wing. The goddess sure. of traveling or whatever. <laughs> under her wing. Are we talking about Manette? Yes. Yeah. That the one who everyone seen. fell in love with. Including the goddess of travel. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Under your under her wing. Under her wing, right. <laughs> I, I can't say the real term. <laughs> It's he's, an adult he's with people in every <laughs> game. Well, Monette was very. In, sh- I know, no, no. <laughs> Monette was a character specifically oriented around being charismatic, beautiful, and she wasn't a D and D character. So I, she had literally no fighting potential at all. All of her points were put into being fast <laughs> and being very charismatic. She had that je ne sais quoi. And fast and easy. So she, there were a lot of characters, (laughs) maybe, and (laughs) maybe a lot of these characters. I mean, she left a trail of broken hearts across the continent. Broken hearts, (laughs) broken beds. I wouldn't say broke. She didn't sleep with a bunch of people. She was the originator of ghosting in this world. A bunch of people who fell in love with her. That's completely different. But that was a cool character, though. <laughs> she so was. Uh, so I, I find it, um, I find it interesting. I well, I don't want to say that. Let's see. I've already said that a couple, three times. When you look at these kinds of opportunities, I think I would recommend to most game masters that you try to find ways that you can engage something with in the inside the setting or inside the continuing story that is a hook onto the PC. I am, I find it weird that I haven't provided more opportunities for PCs to acquire because in the cases where the, the ones we're talking about, that acquisition was very much not something the players chose. Uh, squires, apprentices, you know, followers. What's the term they usually use? Cohort? D&D? I mean, it's good work. Yeah. Characters that, uh, that, that cling to them, that follow around, that want to learn from them, want to be, you know, be put in their orbit. X or GP drains? Which is a, a real thing in D&D and has been since the beginning, but doesn't, I think, get a lot of play. And it makes more sense with higher level characters, of course. Yeah, the assumption being that as your character gains renown or notoriety, that people will seek them out or people will recognize them and, and want to, you know, gain something from being near them. Well, yeah, you have to have that. You have to have that level one character that you bring into all the high level areas to level them up really quick. But Dave will always be my favorite. Oh, my God. Don't even bring up Dave, man. Dave was incredible. (laughs) I'm I'm sorry. It's just he was on an enemy ship that attacked us. He tried to charm one of our crew members. Battle was over. Our crew member's like, oh, yeah, he's a friend. We're like, oh, okay. Dave's like, yeah, I'm Dave. (laughs) Dave. Dave. And little Cobalt started hanging around with us. Like he'd been there the whole time. <laughs> he was scared. <laughs> like, Don't kill me. I'll be anything you want. Dave. So I have two questions to explore real quick here. Um, and then we'll kind of, we'll kind of shut things down. Uh, first question I will kind of discuss is what kind of relationships can we think of that um, in, 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 you know, in general or specific terms, 
for characters in an RPG or in, in a tabletop role game who th- that uh, a game master could employ or could introduce to create interesting storytelling, to create interesting drama, to add to the their sense of the world. They aren't necessarily what we've already kind of commented on. Any thoughts? Um, I had it was in a game Alicia was running, and it was part of my character's backstory that he at last he knew he got into a big fight with his older brother, leaving him as far as he knew dead on the street and ran away. And that was something that Alicia was able to run with where of course, of course the brother wasn't actually dead. And now there was this interaction between us because he was kind of like looking for me. So there was, and having this family relationship that went wrong, it was a fun area to explore which will actually um, tumble nicely into the second question i have is what can players do to help incite or create these characters these relationships or you know help promote opportunities for including talking to the game master about it of course i mean i don't think there's any any rule against going to the game master saying look my my fighter's like seventh eighth level he would actively be looking for some kind of squire, I think, at this point. Somebody to, to train, some way to pass on his knowledge, or or what have you. Or you can even do from a metagame perspective, you know, hey, my my paladin is fifth level, and um, I would love for him to come across uh, a young person in need of guidance who could also help take care of his horse, and you could be kind of a trade-off for training him and shit like that. There you go. Yeah. And, and then it doesn't have to be something the character looks for at all, but something that you and the DM talk about, and the game master decides whether or not that's something they want to fit into the story. Well, you've got me thinking here about like a blind beggar whom obviously isn't going to just start following you and adventuring with you. Right. You know, they really just can't do anything else. But if the players actually stop and listen to them or talk to them between adventures, Mm -hmm. that person always has a story from back in their day before they were blind that just relates to something that's coming up and gives them a piece of, of hint or guidance. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's um, pretty good. I was thinking, like, as a player, you can always look out for NPCs that, you know, may not be what you're expecting. Like, <sighs> like, 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 <laughs> like, you could be have a character who knows about a hero that already exists in the world. You know what I mean? And you can look up to them. You don't actually have to know them to want to... Oh, yeah. To be... You don't actually have to know them. Or even emulate them, kind of like hero worship. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Good. Then you show up in their fat Thor. I think that's dad bod Thor, thank you. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) No, that's good. Now that's I'm thinking good. of a character based around that. That's good. I like it. Because that is something as a player that you can slot right into your story. Yeah. Into your, into your backstory, into the middle of your story if you want to, and just kind of um, add it into the mix. Say, well, you know, I was, um, I was, I grew up on, uh, you know, for, for years, you know, before I left home, I would hear tales of, you know, Jim the Barbarian and all the great things that Jim did out there. And um, this story, this this oh. situation reminds me so much of the story about Jim, the way he came across the waterfall. You know, and you can you, you can literally just yeah. relate, improvise related stories if you wanted I'm, to. I'm also thinking of it from the other side of the screen. Like when your players get up to 
13, 14, 15 level, and they're getting to be big exactly. names. Suddenly an NPC shows up who's hero worshiping them. Now I've done that but, a time or three. <laughs> <laughs> but like the Wheel of Time series, where uh-huh. the, the stories of the Archer and her, her glory and all of her adventures. Legends uh, of Heroes Past. Her yeah. name? I can't remember. Anyways, I'm horrible with names. Uh, Jane? Jane? Br- yeah, Brigida. Jay, Brigida. Brigida. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. Well, and kind of like Bridget. I always have to think. Talking like, about, yeah, Jay, talking yeah, yeah. about, you know, her adventures and all this stuff out there and, and how cool she was. And then later on, she's like part of the freaking story. Right. And always a little kind of, she wasn't weirded out of her role. In Sorry her about thing, the spoilers. But <laughs> she was always a little kind of like, I'm, you know, yeah, sure, I'm really good. But, you know, the, the, the things they say, they might be exaggerating a tad. They might be exaggerating a tad. Shunk. <laughs> Right. Split the apple in half. <laughs> character ideas, huh? Yeah, now I'm just kind of like building a character in my head of <laughs> a hero-worshipping character. <laughs> I like it. It's good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. You can also, like, find a person in a story that your character may be like, wow, that person's really cool. And they may not be someone that other people would expect you to like or be someone that DM was expecting you to feel that way about. In fact, that could often end up being the guy that you randomly start talking to, the game master, suddenly like, okay, I guess I got to role play this dude now. <laughs> and Crap, I got to role play turns again. into the basis of an actual rapport, you know. Hey, Eric, that's kind of cool. You wrote this entire campaign around that one character. Yes. Oh, oh yeah, I did that. Absolutely. Yes, I absolutely did that. This was planned the whole time. My voice is still killing me. <laughs> <laughs> Why that voice? <laughs> See, I'm thinking it'd be fun to have the hero worshiper, but have them not be like the same class as the person they're worshiping. You know, they there's, there's some world-renowned, famed warlock and you love and you're devoted to him, but you're not a warlock and you have none of those powers. Oh, wow. That's interesting. I mean, crossing kind of what you might consider conventional boundaries, crossing the streams. I like the idea of uh, here because the, the, the characters in the game in a class-based game like D&D don't know they're in a class-based right. world, obviously. So, but you can definitely see strong divisions and things like how we approach, like magic, for example, in the world. Yeah, you, things like that. You know the difference between getting your power from another being or <laughs> learning spells or out of a the book. Goddamn book, yeah. So, I mean, there's definitely that. It's fascinating the idea, though, that heroes and, and there's another another um, another variant I like on this. I like too. But the heroes might be something that you admire because of what they did or what they've done or what they stand for, not because of how they do it. You know, uh, the other one is the hero who isn't what you think they are, you know, where the stories always say that this mighty, you know, this mighty wizard did all these things. It turns out they're actually a charlatan who's a bard, you know, or this, uh, you know, this, this divine agent who, you know, stood up before the gods and they're, they're a knight and, all this stuff, and it turns out that they're, you know, <laughs> I actually have never worn armor in my life. I don't understand where the stories come about the sword and the shield and the stuff because, you know, what I've got is this fancy stick. Got some bumps on the end. It's like that seven with one blow story mm-hmm. where they killed seven flies with one blow and it got turned into where they were going. Yeah. Right. Like with you, that could have went anywhere. <laughs> hey, 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 it's an adult show. I so. behave. Most of the time. So, I I think it's uh, fascinating. Yeah. 
Anybody got anything else they want to add? Nope. No, I'm just building a character in my head right now. <laughs> Good conversation. Well, if, if you have any ideas you'd like to share, if you've uh, ever had these kinds of experiences in game or have ideas on ways that we could, uh, ways that we could go with it that we haven't discussed here, we'd love to hear from you. Feedback at prismaticsunami.com. That's feedback at prismaticsunami.com. Feel free to drop us a line. We'll read your emails on the air and uh, call you funny names. You can also visit our Discord page, our Discord server. You'll find the link in the show notes on the website, all that, all that jazz. And uh, follow us on the social medias and stuff. I think that's about as many good words as I have in my in me for today. I, I got a couple more. Yeah? Asamtees.shop. Oh, fuck oh my you, goodness. <laughs> How'd you not see that coming? Right <laughs> when he said that, I hear it is. It's been a long week, man. Well, it, it was either that or you had me at the nipples, but that's another, <laughs> that's another podcast. That's a really different show. <laughs> now people have really got to wonder. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're just going to have to keep listening. Well, thank you for joining us for episode number 254 of Metagamers Anonymous. Getting on out of here for this week. We'll see you next week. My name is Eric. I'm Rich. I'm Joe. And I'm Nira. Thank you, Nira. I appreciate you being here. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Everybody give Nira a hand. I like the uh, golf clap. Oh, my hand doesn't come off. Oh, that that means you're not pulling hard enough. Nira, stop. Don't <laughs> injure the guy. <laughs>